My name is Travis Coleman. I am the Southern Indiana agronomist for Bex Hybrids. With me today is Shane Carver and Ben Wigman. Um, we're excited to kind of get this started. And whether it's a podcast or maybe just a bi-weekly agronomic update, we haven't figured that out. So if you have a good name for this, um, I guess, information or maybe how we get this out a little bit better, we greatly appreciate that. But I'm going to reach out to these guys and just kind of let them introduce themselves. So Shane, we'll go ahead and get started with you. Introduce yourself, how long you've been with Bex, um, what you're passionate about. Yeah, uh, so thanks, Travis. Shane Carver, field agronomist for the Delta region. Uh, so I live in Jonesboro, Arkansas, northeast Arkansas, and I cover the northern portion of the boot hill uh, down in throughout the Delta of Mississippi, Arkansas, into north Louisiana as well. Uh, so this will be my fourth year with Bex. Uh, so came here as they opened the Southern Territory uh, back in April of 2020. Uh, went to Mississippi State for graduate school, worked under Trent Irby there, uh, built a lot of replant threshold, uh, was kind of my master's work at that time. Uh, got a wife uh, and a four-year-old son. Perfect. And with me is also Ben Wigman. Ben, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Travis. And uh Good morning to you too, uh, Shane. Um, but yeah, Ben Wigman, I've been with the company since about April of 2020. Um, I, I come to Bex right after graduating grad school with Dr. Fred Bilo at University of Illinois. Um, I have a wife, Shay, at home. We've been married for almost two years now. And a daughter, Collins, who is just a little bit over um, a year, about 14 months old. Um, but just love doing what what I'm doing here, helping farmers and helping the sales team, things like that. It's a lot of fun seeing the product, agronomy, um, all different kinds of assets of the business coming together. And hopefully we can bring some of that information to you here through this podcast. You bet. Yeah. So the, the, so the idea or the concept in my mind and why I reached out to these guys is we cover very similar maturities when it comes to corn hybrids and soybeans. And so oftentimes we face the same agronomic issues as we go through a growing season. And for me, as I think about podcasts, right, it's becoming kind of the way we receive some of our information along with social media, right? The way farmers are consuming information is changing. Uh, so I just thought it was going to be an easier time having a conversation with a couple other experts um, in the agronomy world. Uh, and also just the ability to kind of maybe bounce ideas off each other as we move through the growing season. So the concept's really simple. Uh, the idea is we're going to have kind of a bi-weekly podcast uh, just to really answer any questions you may have. We may focus on a particular topic, um, but we're also going to take some time to kind of go through our mailbags and maybe answer your one-off questions or something you have burning in the back of your mind. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and kind of jump into our first topic. Our first topic is uh, PFR Insight meetings, right? So we do PFR Insight meetings across our marketing area. I think we had 130 this year. Uh, and for me, I got seven to eight. Um, something I'm pretty passionate about, mostly because I really like data. And I really think that what we do at PFR is kind of the industry standard for unbiased uh, testing across a lot of different products, practices, and planner attachments. So um shane ben what do you guys think about pfr insight meetings maybe how much you had how was attendance uh is there any topic you guys really stood out in 2023 that you're pretty passionate about and make sure you want your growers to kind of understand as we move into 2024 so ben 
kind of lead us off. How did inside meetings go for you? And what does that, you know, look like? Yeah. 24. Yeah. So here in Southern Illinois, you know, we, we weren't as fortunate as Travis. Travis had like seven or eight. So he's kind of bragging over here. We only had four meetings in our area. Um, but but with those four meetings, I felt like we, we did pretty good. Um, we, we had really good attendance at most all of them. Um, I, I think some of the meetings we could have had a few more attendees or just other meetings, things like that going on, um, weather, things like that. But overall, you know, they, they were really, really good. And the one thing that we tried to do this year, myself and Tony Utel, who's our PFR technician at Effingham, we were the ones speaking. And the, and the thing that we tried to do is hit a lot of different topics, but don't dive in deep. That way, everyone in that room could take something home. We, we realized that everyone's farming practices are different. So we wanted to hit multiple different topics. So we talked about sulfur on beans, nitrogen on corn, desiccating beans, um, boron on beans with a post-herbicide and a fungicide application, um, how to efficiently apply different products with our sprayer, what are different things, but then also fungicide with a drone, things like that. We've been seeing really good returns from the drone with fungicide applications when typically we didn't think that we would see returns like that. So, you know, we, we hit a lot of different things and I think we saw really, really good um, attendance and, and a lot of people had a lot of good things to say. So I, I think these people do enjoy these meetings being totally unbiased, things like that. Um, so Shane, how about you guys? Yeah, so we had a really good insight meeting running down here. Uh, so Austin Scott's whole territory, the whole Southern territory had I think it was nine total meetings. I did five of those uh, five meetings. We had just over 300 people attend. So uh, you guys have a lot more show up, uh, but we're a newer territory. Uh, only been here for this will be the fourth year. Uh, I feel like 300 people is is pretty strong. Uh, I really feel like now as we move forward, we're getting uh, the the attendance, I guess, geared towards the right people uh, they're there, that are there to learn. Uh, very interested in what we're talking about as we've added the Delta PFR locations, uh, trying to bring a little bit more of a local data set. So uh, I, I do the same thing Ben does. I, I try to talk a lot of different topics, uh, but then I also try to talk a lot of topics that pertain to the guys here in the Delta and utilize a lot of the data that we see uh, and capture out of the two Delta PFR locations there in, in Missouri and Kaiser, Arkansas. So I would say uh, one of my favorite ones is something we've been doing in Learn Plot for the past two or three years, uh, and then we've kind of taken it to uh, the PFR level, uh, but it would be the generic fungicide uh, within that fungicide system steady on corn. Uh, so bringing in that V5 application, that V10 application of that generic quadrus to me is something that we've been really pushing for, for quite a while. So the multi-location data set was interesting because it highlighted the V10 application being the most profitable uh, when it's paired with that tassel time fungicide. Um, but for us on the Delta site, so we actually saw it at V5 paired with that tassel time fungicide paying the greatest. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, when we start to see stress, uh, you know, if you look at our heat, if you look at moisture early season, uh, that fungicide really helps clean some things up, really helps limit overall stress in that crop early uh, as we get into those yield determining growth stages. Uh, we had a lot of questions through insight meetings, uh, after insight meetings around, you know, the nozzle studies with the you know, green leaf turbo dual fans. A lot of guys like those starter on soybeans. Uh, and then my favorite is probably the soybean fungicide additive. We're always looking at what we can pair in with that fungicide pass uh, to increase profitability across the farm. 
uh, and make that path more profitable. You bet. Yeah. So one thing I'll give you some pointers on, right, as we talk about seven to eight meetings across southern Indiana, we really like to pair it with a really good meal. I think most farmers, you know, really come for the meal. Um, And I know, Shane, you kind of have a little bit of a funny. So while we're kind of discussing agronomics, tell us about one of your meetings uh, where maybe you kind of ran out of some food. Yeah. So uh, actually this year, uh, two of our meetings, we we ran really, really low on food. Uh, so we were uh, at Cleveland, Mississippi, or Mar- Marigold, Mississippi, at Crawdads, and uh, we were having steaks at that meeting. And man, we uh, we ran out of well, we didn't run out, but we had I think eighty something RSVP'd, and one hundred and twenty showed up. So it was uh, it, it was pretty interesting to watch the chef back there uh, freaking out about if he had enough cuts of meat to, to be able to feed everybody, and then. Uh, in Sykeston, we had, I think, 60-something registered, had 85 show up. Uh, so they actually had to run back and get more brisket and uh, pulled pork. So it was pretty interesting. Everybody yeah, played along, though, and everybody yeah. was fine. Right. It's always a successful meeting when you run out of food, right? I think that kind of shows uh, what we're doing and the value in PFR. And to your guys' point, right, we kind of stay um, on that upper level and just kind of skim the top, you know, we think about PFR Insight meetings, whether we have 30 there or a couple hundred, um, we have guys that are farming different amounts of acres with different kind of uh, equipment, right? So we just want to make sure we kind of reach everyone. Um, and that gives us the opportunity for things like this podcast to maybe dive in a little bit deeper. I know one question that came up through our Insight meetings was around that boron timing, right? So we now say that boron uh, applications at R1 and R3 are both PFR proven, but really what I thought was pretty cool was when you pair those applications together of a pint of 10% boron per acre um, at R1 and at R3, you get that one plus one equals two. So you don't often see that in farming where, you know, one thing equals an eight and a half dollar return. And then at R3, we saw it a nine and a half dollar return and it totaled out to a $20 return when we pair them together. So Something that's pretty exciting to me and something that we'll continue to add. Um, anything when we talk about PFR Insight meetings, any sort of wrap up you guys may have or anything uh, that sticks out in the back of your mind? You know, the one thing that I'd add to that, Travis, is, um, you know, that that was the multi-location, multi-year data. Um, you know, so, so we'll get a lot of PFR sites that are, I'll call better soils, higher organic matter, higher CECs you know, like Central Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota. And and sometimes, you know, when we couple that data together, it takes away from sites like Southern Illinois, Kentucky, the Delta, things like that. Um, but, but when we think about that data there, when we came to, for example, Effingham, it's Southern Illinois, lower organic matter, you know, where we were seeing about an 18 to $19 return on a multi-location basis, we were about 31 to $32 here. And I just think that goes to show that these lower organic matter soils, they're going to have an increased response to a lot of these things. So, you know, for our three territories right here, I, I think that's something that resonates um, quite a bit that we're already making a pass like that with the herbicide, with the fungicide. So we might as well throw it in because it's a free ride and it's very easy to get the return on investment because we're already, already having the big hitters in there. So it's just a free ride. So thinking about that post-herbicide application, that fungicide application, great timings to be throwing that stuff in the tank. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, something I um, 
uh, you know, love to do. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite meetings. And just, you know, as we think about next year, right, it's a great opportunity, whether you're currently plant backs or don't. Again, that unbiased information and really break down 430 some odd pages of studies there can sometimes can make your head spin. So uh, just a couple of them that maybe you can add or don't add um, to your operation or try for 2024. Um, I'll well, I would say one thing too, Travis, is the amount of idea sharing and the amount of uh, study ideas that come out of Insight meetings. So Jason's really good about, you know, as soon as Insight meetings are over, uh, the protocol committee gets together and, and takes, you know, they'll take any advice or any study ideas that came out of Insight meetings and try to incorporate those in the next year. And uh, I know for the Delta site, you know, for us starting small and, you know, not having an official place, uh, if, if it's not something a grower wants to see, it's not worth my time to do. So uh, making sure that the studies that we're doing pertain to the farm and, and can come back to value for the grower, I think that's what means a lot. And we're getting a ton of feedback out of these meetings. You bet. Yeah. And to your point, right, we think about that uh, rate by carrier on fungicide. That actually came from a Southern Indiana um, grower. Uh, he was pretty passionate that you know, if I do the early application early in the day, right, I can get away uh, with a higher pressure. You know, I have that carrier uh, with that heavy dew. So he turned up his pressure and it was working for him. And it's one of those things we've rolled into our PFR testing and saw some pretty good results in year one, right? So higher pressure at a lower carrier rate works, uh, but making sure, right, we use the right fungicides, make sure we're doing that earlier morning application, I think is going to be big. And, you know, I think that's the real benefit when it comes to PFR testing. We get to test it for multiple years and multiple locations. So, you know, it worked in year one. And so try it on your own farm, but don't go hog wild on some of that stuff, right? Let us continue to do some additional testing. Maybe it's something that we do figure out, right? With some of these new fungicides, we can get array with a lower carrier rate, but turn up our pressure. Uh, or maybe it's something that, you know, we had a low disease years across the majority of our areas. So we think about, you know, maybe we just got that plant health aspect and we didn't need as much carrier rate to kind of uh, prevent and cure uh, some of the diseases that we normally see. So, again, the benefit in PFR testing. You know, one thing I want to throw in here uh, is that this is technically our second attempt at our podcast. Uh, so the guys are laughing here. Um, they don't have their pitchforks and torches anymore. I got them to set those down. Um, you know, it's funny. We're good, hopefully good agronomists, right? But sometimes technology seems to fail us. So we went through this about a week ago, uh, and I forgot to hit the record button. So they laugh now, but they were probably pretty frustrated, and I was pretty sick to my stomach. So just thought as we're kind of talking agronomy, we'd have some fun here um, and talk about that. So Let's jump into topic number two. And ultimately, I want to talk about kind of what's your guys' focus over the next 30 days. I know we cover kind of a broad territory, uh, similar, uh, but very different, right? So I'm going to reach out to Shane. Uh, over the next 30 days, you as an agronomist, what are you focused on maybe within your job? And then what do you want your growers uh, down there in the Delta to start thinking about? Yeah, so I mean, we're we're really ramping up to plant, and and like Travis mentioned, you know, last week when we did this, uh, kind of mentioned some of this stuff, but uh, with the weather that we're having right now, I think it'll be seventy-two degrees today. Um, there's a lot of things that are changing on the farm pretty quick. There's a lot of guys out in the field, whether they're 
you know, going over the top of wheat with herbicide, uh, maybe some palisade for prepping for that nitrogen pass, that second nitrogen pass. But then there's also some guys uh, doing some burn down. I saw some planes flying yesterday, uh, some burn down on as I was driving through Mississippi. So uh, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, but, man, we had an excellent fall. There's a ton of ground that got worked uh, moving into the winter months. Uh, fertilities out there, fall herbicides, fall residuals are out there. Really surprised at the low pressure of Italian ryegrass I saw driving through the Delta yesterday. Uh, proud of everybody for for making those applications in the fall and trying to make uh, this year, this planting season, more efficient. So one real big thing that's kind of cool that we're excited about for this year is going to be the ready-to-plant feature within uh, Farm Server. So Farm Server is our in-house uh, precision farming platform. Uh, so basically, you can take any of your uh, precision equipment, whether it be John Deere case, Trimble, whatever system you're running, you can upload data. You can manually enter data if you're not running any sort of uh, of a monitor system in the tractor. Uh, you can upload all that data raw uh, as long as you have field boundaries in. So the ready to plant uh, system basically is going to tell you when it's okay to plant. So I look at this being more beneficial uh, for my guys on when to stop planting rather than to rather than when to go to the field. We're going to ground truth it in some places this year. Uh, make sure it's accurate because it takes soil moisture and kind of makes it to where, you know, marginal conditions or ready to plant conditions, uh, you know, based on rainfall, soil moisture, take that into account as well. But I think it's going to be really valuable on the stop planting side where, you know, it may be 75 degrees, a low of 55. We're running hard, but, you know, we got a three day stretch of a cool down with wet, rainy weather coming uh, in the forecast, well, ready to plant will tell you when to stop planting to, to maximize the stand establishment, maximize the value out of that planting pass. So based around weather, so it, it's going to be really interesting. We've looked at it. I think it's been in testing for a couple of years, but launched this year. So it will start sending alerts. You do have to opt into those alerts, but it will start sending out ready to plant alerts March 15th. I think it goes through June 15th. So we may have to extend that out a little bit for double crop planting. Yeah, yeah. Boy, Shane, 72 degrees, that ain't too far off from what it feels like in the month of July, is it? <laughs> no, I know. Uh, no, it, it's way cool. We would be in uh, jackets in July if it was 72. Um, <laughs> no, it's warm. It really is. I wore a short sleeve shirt yesterday. You bet. Yeah. And so for me, I'll be honest with you, the ready to plant feature, I don't think, you know, some guys are going to say, all right, well, that's going to put you guys out of a job. And I don't think it's going to do that. I think for me, the biggest benefit I see is right as we think about some of our larger operations that are spanning uh, big territories when they come to planting, kind of gives them a direction of maybe do I go check that field uh, to get planted? And then the other benefit for me is sometimes uh, I go on an operation maybe the beginning of April and they're just getting their planner out. And so hopefully with some of these notifications starting in March, we remind guys, hey, it's time to get that planner out because there might be an opportunity like we saw last spring, early April, where we can get some beans planted. And ultimately, those were our highest yielding beans in my territory that second week of April. But you got to have the planner ready, right? You got to have your plan ready. And so Hopefully that's episode number two. We're going to kind of talk through planners and having a plan. Uh, but for Ben, what is your focus uh, over the next 30 days uh, with your territory? Yeah, I, I, I think for my territory, you know, there in the past couple of years, there has been increased um, acres of wheat. Um, so, so a lot of guys looking at getting that first shot of nitrogen on. Um, I, we're, we're a couple of weeks out probably yet from those Harmony Palisade applications. 
um, probably a good two to three weeks. I always say anywhere from that March 10th to March 20th time frame is typically a good time to be looking at getting those on, you know, field conditions are um, okay. But, um, you know, outside of that, you know, I, what I try to always challenge my guys with is, okay, you know, it's, it's easy to put a plan together in the month of December, January, February, but what are you going to do to follow through with that plan? Um, you know, maybe it's changing fertility, getting your planner set right, you know, indexing your planner, things like that. You know, but the one thing that I, I would recommend is, you know, over and over again, we, I, I always refer back to Albert Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over, over and over again and expecting the same return. But, you know, what are we going to do in the next month to make sure that we challenge ourselves to try to better ourselves? And I know grain markets are kind of, you know, in the tank a little bit, but what are we going to do to maybe better our farm to improve the ROI? Maybe it's some um, sulfur pre-plant on beans, those early beans, as we get to higher yield levels. Um, with beans, what are we going to do to supplement the fertility to those? And sulfur is a great way to do that, whether it's pre-plant, um, things like that, because that is a PFR proven thing right now. So, you know, I just challenge guys, what are you going to do to follow through with the plan maybe that you've thought of in the winter months to ultimately improve the ROI of your farm moving forward? You bet. Yeah. So, yeah. Think about what right. I think. Yep. And I, I think you brought up a good point with the financial side of it. So I've been working through with a bunch of guys and just trying to figure out maybe where we need to trim dollars, where we may have been spending like a little bit of excess amount of money. Maybe it's even in a starter. You know, I mean, there's some guys spending 35, 40 bucks in a starter, uh, you know, really, really knowing the cost and your input cost, building an ROI calculator, using something uh, along those lines to, to make sure that you know where your money is being spent, make sure you're getting a return on that investment. Uh, utilize your yield data from the past to make sure that that you're getting the return out of those products that you're putting on the on the farm. And most importantly, you know, I think we could all agree is don't forget about the basics. You know, don't forget about your N, P, and K, sulfur, boron. You know, ultimately those are probably going to be your biggest yield drivers. Um, thing, things like that, making sure we have all those big building blocks in place so we have that solid base so we can you know set ourselves up for success. Man, you know, use the free things, planting depth, side dress timing, those things that you're going to do, get the timings right, get the depth right, uh, do the free things to make you more money. You bet. Yeah. So I kind of poke fun at myself a little bit. And so we're going to poke at fun at someone else. Right. And so we think about the weatherman. Right. If there's anyone that is more wrong that still has a job, it's probably the guy that predicts the weather. And so you think about kind of the weather forecast, right? There's some way too early predictions from some of those guys. Uh, and they're talking about uh, an early spring, right? So making sure, again, we're ready in April to go, I think is going to be really important. And then they talk about a wet May, June, July, and August. And so I know, Shane, you are a waterfowl hunter. Um, I myself try to partake in some waterfowl hunting. Uh, but when you live east of the Mississippi River, um, waterfowl is sometimes limited and we kill a lot of res residential birds. Uh, but I've seen a lot of sandhill cranes, right? And so if you think about, you know, grandparents and parents, right, they kind of always said a sign of an early spring is by uh, seeing those sandhill cranes already starting to fly north. And so the past month or so, we've seen some of that. You talked about it being 70 degrees down there. Um, so an early spring, um, does that excite you? Does that concern you? Um, and then we think about maybe a wet May, June, July, August is what they're predicting. So 
anything, I guess, if you're going into a growing season that's very different from the past couple of years, uh, anything you would recommend or be ready for? Um, yeah, I mean, so so last year in parts of the territory, we, we had a really good spring. We got a lot of beans planted early. Uh, a lot of our crop was planted, I would say, well, you know, the 15th of May. We, we were pretty well planted. Um, ideally, we'd love to see that again. Uh, that early planting, I absolutely love it. One thing uh, that I've kind of been talking through is we have so much land prep and, say, you know, field prep done and ready to hit the field with a planter in that first pass across the field. Um, I, I've always, I, I kind of talk to guys as you got to have a plan B. Uh, so make sure like your plan now on soybean maturity, you know, make sure as we move forward, uh, say we end up in a wet stretch in April and we don't start getting planted till, you know, the last two or three days in April, first week of, of May, then, then we really need to be focused around that maturity group and maybe swapping some of those out, looking at our harvest logistics, uh, thinking that far ahead, maybe changing some of those maturities. Uh, in some places, some fields that can handle it where we may want to go to an earlier maturity at three, nine, early group four, something like that to shake up our, our planting or our harvest uh, logistics around the farm and make that more efficient. It would be the only thing I would really tell you to be really careful of. What about you, Ben? Anything, any, uh, any concerns about the weather forecast? Um, anything you would recommend, right? Especially... I guess in my opinion, right, we've come off probably some drier Junes, drier Julys over the past couple of years. Uh, any concerns you may have? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, we need to control the controllables, right? We, we've talked about that before. Control the things that are within your power. When, when the ground is fit to plant, go plant. When, you know, be just be mindful of what different things are going, but also think about efficiencies. You know, Travis mentioned, you know, the past couple summers, we've had some dry June. Well, typically through the month of June, we're, we're taking up a lot of nutrients, especially in, in the corn crop. Um, you know, so we think about nitrogen, sulfur, things like that. Well, you know, some of that has greatly affected our earlier planted corn where our later planted corn wasn't in that large nutrient uptake time when it was drier. And therefore, it led to higher corn yields in that later planted corn. So, you know, I, I, I think, like I said, with the controllables, what, what are the things that we control? And I think one of the most important things is nutrient use efficiency. How, how are we going to apply these nutrients to our crops in the most efficient way that we can help mitigate some of that heat stress, that drought stress, things like that? Figure out the ways to be most efficient with those applications so we can therefore control the controllables. You know, I think those are some of the biggest things because we're never guaranteed to get that next rain shower, but what we can guarantee is we can guarantee doing the best job that we can with our crop moving forward. Yeah, down here, we're always 10 days from a drought. Yeah, always. amen. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so, you know, as I think about early springs, I kind of go back to 2023, right? some of the highest yields, right, for the state of Indiana that we've ever seen. Uh, 200 bushel corn, I think, as a state average, and then 61 bushel beans as a state average. And that was a record for both crops. And I think about soybeans in particular, it was our fastest pace of getting acres planted. Uh, I pulled it up here on my other computer. Uh, we had the majority of our beans planted uh, by the middle of May, uh, to your point, Shane. And so, Again, right, we've talked about it through BEX, uh, through PFR for a lot of years, right? Early planting soybeans, getting that bean planter out ahead 
of the corn planer, I think is advantageous. So again, you know, again, to Ben's point, right? Control the control boils, get your beans planted early. Are there anything you look at when it comes to weather about when you do or don't uh, plant? Maybe it's uh, GDUs after, GDU accumulation kind of after uh, you get that planting date. Is there anything you look at, Shane? I know you kind of have a little quick hit when it comes to Yeah, that. so on corn, you know, the forecast uh, after we plant plays a big role in establishing that stand in a, in a uniform manner. So a lot of times we're looking at, at at least 80 GDUs of, you know, accumulating 80 GDUs within that first 10 days after planting. You know, most years it's not really an issue, uh, but we like to push the envelope. You know, we want to we wanna be pu- pushing the planter as, as early as we can, trying to beat some of that late summer heat and drought stress, uh, maybe limit some waterings things like that so uh, for me it's all about gdu accumulation at least trying to get 80 gdus in that first 10 days after we plant a plant a corn crop yep i think the one thing you know we we think about what pfr has seen in reference to planting and planting dates things like that i think we could probably all agree that we only get one shot on that corn crop corn crop doesn't have the ability to branch out or you know tiller things like that to get a hard a second harvestable ear or something like that. So, you know, getting that corn crop, that perfect stand is ultimately, we talk, <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about the controllables. That's ultimately the only thing that we can control, right? Um, you know, we can argue about that back and forth, but we think about beans. Beans have the ability, if we lose a little bit of stand, they can branch out. You know, we can get harvestable yield on a thin, thinner stand, things like that. So, you know, those guys that maybe only have one planter, if you know the extended forecast doesn't maybe look the best but we have a good planting window right now we'll put some beans in the ground you know those beans can suffer a little bit as compared to that corn crop yeah 20 percent stand loss in a bean crop compared to a corn crops significant (laughs) yeah 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 so you know one thing that i have a little bit of concern about right june july august uh it's a long ways away right so again um, not to poke fun at the weatherman, but sometimes those predictions change pretty quickly. Uh, we don't even know if we're going to get rain tomorrow. But, you know, if we think about the concerns or the potential risk of a wet May, June, July, August, right? Uh, one thing that stands out in my mind is I don't know that I harvested a plot or rode in a combine last fall and I didn't see tar spot in southern Indiana. And we've been talking about it over the past three years. Um, but something that we, you know, over we know it overwinters, um, so there is some some concern in my opinion of that probably being more detrimental to yields uh, moving forward. So, Shane, you probably don't have to deal with it much, uh, but Ben, do you have any experience maybe from your past uh, with tar spot or how to manage it? You know, kind of going into year three, year four of seeing it and really kind of having kind of an abundance of it last fall. Yeah, um, you know, so I would say my experience with tar spot really has been kind of my northern edge of my territory along that I-70 corridor. But then when I get down to the southeast portion of the state where we have um, a fair amount of irrigation, um, that that that's really been, you know, probably the hot spots for me. Two years ago, we saw it kind of filtered throughout the whole territory, but really that I-70 corridor and then down the southeast portion of the state where the irrigation has really been, you know, probably the worst. And, and I think you know, going back to the controllables here, I, I think hybrid is one of those biggest factors that we can use to control against tar spot. But also, you know, just like a herbicide, fungicides, you know, 
are becoming more of a planned application instead of a quote unquote see and spray type deal. Um, you know, so I think, you know, being out in your fields, knowing which fields have had that, because like Travis said, it can overwinter in the residue. So once you have it, you essentially have it. You just got to have those three pieces of the puzzle to make it appear again. Um, so, you know, being mindful of those fields that you have that have had that disease in it, but then making sure that, okay, we're going to have a plan in place that we're going to spray it fungicide, you know, at tassel. And then we might come back again 21 days later to, you know, just keep that plant healthy, keep it green, just try to keep suppressing things. So, you know, fungicide applications, hybrid selection are probably the two biggest things that I've seen be most beneficial for um, tar spot protection. Yep, I agree. So it's Don't always keep it up there. There you go. Yeah, right. So you think about a normal year, right? What is a normal year? I can tell you probably the only thing uh, the guys in the podcast can guarantee is that it's going to be different the next year. It might be better, it might be worse. Um, but something again to uh, the conversation we've had today is just make sure you can control the controllables and be ready to react, I guess, in any situation that might kind of arise. So let's jump into kind of topic number three. And this is probably my favorite piece, right? It's that mailbag. Um, we talked about some Q&As uh, during our Farm Machinery Show. So if you're at the Farm Machinery Show, hopefully you're able to join us for a Q&A session there at lunchtime. But it's probably one of my favorite pieces, right? Because you get to ask the questions that maybe are burning in the back of your mind and you get to um maybe ask something, whether it's via PFR, maybe it's an agronomist experience, or maybe it's very detailed to your geographical area. So I went out and I reached out to customers and some of our dealers uh, and seed advisors for some of these kind of questions. And so I'm going to throw them back uh, to Shane and Ben and just a couple questions here as we wrap up today's podcast about what are uh, some things. So one of the questions that came up, and I'm going to shoot it off to Ben here. Um, with lower commodity prices, do I plant more beans or do I stay in my 50-50 rotation? Mm -hmm. You know, I, when I think about this question, I, I it takes me back to last year, you know, when we had good grain prices and some grain marketing guys, things like that were saying, oh, you know, corn $7, we're going to see 8 and $9 corn, okay? Well, those same guys this year, not to call them out, you know, I would say, you know, the markets are very volatile, but, you know, those guys that are saying grain prices are going to go lower, you know, they, they could essentially be wrong in that aspect. So at the end of the day, we go back to what we've been talking about, control the controls, stick to your plan, because a lot of times if you, you know, switch things, you're just asking for a disaster. So know what your plan is, stick to your plan, stick to things. Don't try doing crazy things. Otherwise, crazy things may happen um, because you never know what the next day will bring. You know, month of February, I would say typically I'm no grain marketing expert, but it's typically not the month to sell a whole lot of grain. We may be hauling a lot of grain, but we're not typically going to sell a lot of grain. So stick to your plan, even though right now when maybe we're not as busy, things may look like, oh, we, we should switch one way or the other. But keep in mind, a month or two from now, things could greatly change. So stick to your plan moving forward. That way we can just keep the course in that plan that we have. Shane, anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, it's just you, you got to know your cash flow. You got to, I mean, you got to make those decisions on your farm based around cash flow. Um, for us, I mean, if you look at the markets in the last 
I guess, month. You know, cotton markets really picked up. You know, corn acres for us, it doesn't really play a big role into the national uh, corn acreage plan uh, for the United States. So it's, it's not like it's a big deal. Uh, we're going to have some corn. Uh, but uh, my talks yesterday and over the past couple of weeks, cotton's really, really ramping up. Uh, guys are getting back into it or, or maybe increasing acres in places. Bean acres are still going to be where they've typically been. I think they're going to be pretty high. Uh, but I mean, I don't know anybody that's just dropping corn acres right here recently. I mean, it was pretty much a plan how they were going to go about their crop management or their crop breakout back in the fall. And, and that's pretty well stayed true. You bet. Yeah. So I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Right. So I've looked at my checkbook and I don't know that I can uh, fund maybe some of those initial upfront investments when it comes to corn. I am going to go heavier beans. Are there anything that maybe Shane or Ben, you've had some experience with with second year or potentially third year beans uh, that you would remind guys as they kind of go into 2024 with that kind of, you know, second year, third year beans? Yeah, so for, for me, you know, we run a lot of continuous bean ground down here. Um, I think you got to look at management. I think you got to look at uh, maybe increasing the level of management, making sure you're watching for septoria early and, and throughout the growing season, looking for your char charcoal rot uh, hot spots. Maybe there's some things we can do around that. But I'd be really focused around that fungicide piece. You got a lot of residue there. You got a lot of overwintering material uh, and pathogens there within that. Uh, within that top layer of the soil. So being mindful of those things, making sure you're managing those acres uh, for success when we when we have those situations. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would add to that, and I agree with all of what Shane's saying, is, you know, we're, we're going to have that increased disease level. But, you know, sometimes if we can get out there and maybe make a healthier plant from the start through some sulfur applications, things like that, make that plant healthier, give it a stronger, quote unquote, immune system, if you will, to help fight off some of those diseases. But then, you know, we, we work for a seed company, Think, thinking about rotating varieties, things like that. You know, there, there's some new peaking varieties, things like that coming out. Um, you know, think, thinking about rotating to some of those different sites of actions for nematodes, things like that. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, with what Shane said, fungicide, um, but then also fertility and variety management. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to making a healthier plant, fighting off those diseases, things like that. And I think the easiest way to do that is between variety, fertility, and fungicide applications. It's a system of approach from the time you put that seed in the ground to the time that you harvest that crop in the in the fall time. Yeah, fertility is interesting. You think about the potassium load you you take off with a 75-80 bushel crop, uh, and you're going to go back and try to do that again on the same acre. Uh, I agree with that. I agree with rotating varieties. Maybe a maybe a wise choice. Uh, and then you look at herbicide chemistries too. You know, you, you also got to be mindful of that. You know, most time with that corn soybean rotation, we get a complete transition off of a year with different actives on the herbicide standpoint. But make sure you're, you know, if you use Zidua last year, you may start with Dual or uh, a, a Warrant or something this year and then, you know, maybe go back to a Zidua in that post pass. So make sure you're layering and, and rotating those residuals as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Shane, you talked about herbicides, right? And so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, we're blessed with uh, multiple genetic options, right? Multiple herbicide traits. Um, so today's February 21st. Um, so let's talk about dicamba just for a quick second. Just help us understand okay. kind of where we are currently um, with the rules and regulations. We might 
only be able to talk about this for the next five minutes. It could change that quick. Uh, but how do you understand the current rules and regulations and um, reminders for guys as they plan their herbicides? Yeah, so Extendamax and Geniatavium, uh, anything that is not in possession of the parent companies is available through retail outlets or the generic outlets. Um, for me, you know, I, we're we, I think there's still a lot of planned approaches or, or planned passes with Extendamax and Genia in the tank uh, from what they can get in, you know, get purchased and get in the shop floor you know, here recently. You know, there's a lot of it starting to hear it dry up. I don't know how much of that's really true. I think there's some bluff out there of, of what's available, what's not. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I know where there is some still sitting and uh, I, I would just explore different avenues. And then we think about if we want to get away from dicamba as a whole, you know, if you look at inputs and say you go into a generic model on herbicides, you know, you can you can put in a herb, herbicide system with a strong residual for probably the cheapest we've been able to do it in a really long time. You know, there's a lot of generic liberties out there for right around 20, 20 bucks. Uh, generic Roundup, pretty cheap. Uh, you know, you, you can build those plans. The herbicide program guide that we put together every year uh, for soybeans list those actives uh, of those, you know, pre-mixed materials to where you can, you know, make those mixes on your own. Uh, so just be mindful. It goes back to the inputs and, and trying to make sure that you're keeping track of what you're spending. Yep. Yep. But the dicamba deal for us, is it would be a big deal if it got pulled. I would say we're more than 90% extemplex in, in my territory. So, I mean, it would be a pretty big deal if we, if we didn't have dicamba. Yeah. So, so they've kind of issued um, some ruling around using existing stock, right? So I think that's probably the big piece, right? As we think about our territories and maybe some additional territories that are looking at it, um, reach out to your local seed advisor or agronomist kind of to get your detailed location information. I know our application dates moved up versus last year uh, if we are going to use that product in season. Um, but reminder, right, there's a lot of ways to control weeds, uh, to your point, Shane. I think it's important to remember those residuals, those soil-applied residuals, uh, because we know the easiest weed to control is one that's never emerged. Um, so think about that, right? There might be some changes to some herbicide programs. Um, but for me, right, when I think about the Extend Flex lineup that we currently offer from Bex, the reason we're looking at that. Uh, is because it plays in the maturity and it plays to the right acre in those higher yields. Um, so, again, I'm not trying to get guys to change uh, today and probably moving forward, even without a potential dicamba label. Um, those products, I think, are still a really good option uh, when it comes to the acre you may be farming. So, uh, Ben, anything you want to add? No, I, I think... Uh... Like Travis said, you know, if you have any questions, just stay in contact with your seed advisor or us, you know, feel free to contact us. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have because, I mean, I think there is a lot of confusion on some of this stuff. And the best way to get past it is just educate knowledge, you know. You bet. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to throw one at Shane here. This is actually probably something that we didn't talk about beforehand, but I think you're pretty fast on your feet here. So uh, one question I had was from a customer, and he said, after going to a PFR Insight meeting, so we talked about that already, I feel PFR focuses a lot on big ticket items, right? Two by two by two, drones, uh, planar attachments. I'm a small farmer using older equipment, 
on uh, you know smaller acres. Uh, what are some things that maybe have been shown in the PFR through the past um, that we can implement today without a lot of changes or some additional capital? Yeah, I think it goes back to maybe what I mentioned before is get the little free things correct. Uh, timing of that side dress, uh, time of day. If you're running fungicide on any crop, paying attention to, to time of day of those applications, um, making sure that you have the right product maybe in those fungicide pastures, you know, to target the, the, the disease that's present in the field. Um, I mean, there's a ton of different things that we can do. You look at the talc replacement studies, and, and no, those aren't flashy and, and exciting, but if you look at some of the return on investment coming out of those talc replacement studies, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, Ben, I think you put something maybe out last week uh, with the with the talc replacement studies. I thought that was really, really good and really valuable. I think that's something that's easy that anybody can do. Uh, maybe get some micronutrients in the tank or in that planter box and as well as some fluency agents, things like that to, to increase seed flow and place that seed in the seed trench where you want it, where you want it to stay. So. I mean, th there's a ton of really cheap options within the PFR book. One thing uh, that, you know, I, I guess I'm just going to take it from something that, that we've d done in a learn plot uh, down here is I always get the question of, can I cheapen up my fungicide application and go to a generic product um, at that R3 fungicide path on soybean? So we did that this year. Uh, we looked at it in a, like a replicated setting across the field. So we had an untreated, no fungicide, then we ran a basically uh, a Quiltex cell with propiconazole and oxystrobin paired together. And then we ran Miravis Top, kind of your brand name, uh, heavy hitter on the fungicide front for us. So if you look at untreated compared to just Quiltex cell, you picked up three and a half bushels. So you're doing something. Uh, that product probably going to cost you, I don't know, 11, 12 bucks ballpark. Um, and then you look at Miravis Top. It's going to cost you a little bit more, probably eight, just say $10 more but you're picking up additional 2.2 bushels uh, over the Quiltex cell application. So, I mean, really increasing yield, uh, making sure, you know, there is money to be made, uh, that those products are effective, but in some instances it does pay more uh, to, to buy that brand name product uh, to make that, that application with a branded product. So those are some things that we get questions about through the growing season. One really cool study that we did this year uh, to kind of highlight that. That, yeah. Yeah. And so one thing I would kind of push on is that PFR proven section at the front of the book. Um, those are the ones that have been tested for three years, multi-locations. Those are the ones that, you know, I probably give a favorable recommendation to uh, because we've tested it in our locations unbiased with a very strict protocol. Uh, and then those success strategies, right? We oftentimes, you know, it's kind of engraved in our head, the success strategies. But again, uh, whether we've talked about it today or not, you know, those are the basics. Those are the little things we can get right. And no matter what you spray or what you apply in a foliar or a fungicide, those are the things we have to do uh, year in and year out to try to kind of build that base layer and, and achieve higher yields. So that I think is page um, 16 in the 2023 Bex PFR book or a quick Google search of Bex success strategies for corn, soybeans, or wheat. Uh, they're all available there. Um, so no matter what kind of acreage you're farming or what kind of equipment you run, uh, those are the little things. So um, we'll wrap it up here. Um, I want to thank you guys for your time. Um, I do see the recording button in the upper left-hand corner so I can confirm that this time we got it done, right? So uh, we're excited to kind of continue this again bi-weekly as we go through the growing season. Um, if you are listening and have any questions or maybe some 
topics you want us to talk about, uh, we're always open to that. Uh, so reach out to Shane, myself, or Ben um, with any questions that might be burning in the back of your mind. Again, episode number two, we're going to try to talk about kind of having a planting plan, maybe some of those last minute kind of uh, planner fixes or reminders when it comes to your planner as we head to the field. Uh, and then are there any additional things? Maybe it's something you have coming up, a uh, public appearance, let's say, um, that you want to remind guys about. Shane, Ben? Yeah, public appearance. You make it sound really cool. Uh, so, no, uh, it is a public appearance, I guess, but we'll be at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show. Uh, it'll be March 1st and 2nd. We'll be on the second level there. Uh, booth number uh, 4231. So we'll be upstairs. We'll have a big booth set up. We'll have a bunch of uh, bunch of knowledge within that booth. Uh, come ask us questions. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast, we'll take those questions and answer them here. Yeah. Yeah, as far as Southern Illinois, we don't have any big appearances or anything else coming up. I'm just gearing up for planning. Um, getting seed out, pot seed, figure those pots out, things like that. But if you guys by all means, have any questions, comments, um, suggestions, you know, we're, we're open ears. We want to learn how to improve things. We want to make, you know, this podcast for you guys so you can help learn. We can learn things like that. So this is all for you guys. You bet. Yeah. So Ben doesn't know, or maybe he just hasn't looked far enough into his calendar. Uh, Southern Indiana is hosting Mark Morton, our Nebraska agronomist, for two different meetings to talk about irrigation, right? We think you know, irrigation is a really important piece to growing anything out in Nebraska. So he's going to come out and help teach us about are we overwatering, which in my opinion we are, or when do we run those irrigation systems? So March 5th in Seymour uh, or March 6th in Vincennes, or I guess uh, for those uh, in Southern Illinois, we'd invite you to it, right? So it's going to be a couple hours there with Mark Morton, something I'm pretty excited to kind of help our growers kind of fine tune that irrigation management piece. Um, with that, again, thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you find this valuable. Um, thanks. Thanks.